We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Experience. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, Week Ten waiver wire pickups, full injury report, running back snap shares, and your questions. Plus a Monday night preview, plus a recap of Week Nine. We got it all here for you to kick off the first leg of Monday, and of course we have everything going all throughout the week, like the Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League link not available as of yet but the moment it is i will throw it into the description of this video and podcast also the comment section of the video so you can go get your spot right away it fills super quickly now 15 dollars to enter three max entry 45 dollars full uh that's all you can really put in it's a max you can put in but forty-five thousand dollars guaranteed in the prize pool because there's no rake it is the best tournament on DraftKings. i suggest everyone go play in it plus i'm in it so you can come take my money because Finally had a really bad week in my tournament. No cashes, 0 for 3. But, uh, you know, shit happens when you party naked, I suppose. If you want to get into a draw for 20 DK bucks, here's what you do. Smash the like button for the episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Not the live chat, the comment section. And tell me who your favorite waiver wire pickup is this week. Under 60% owned on, let's say, ESPN sites. Uh, Or just maybe who the best player available in your league is. Maybe that's a better way to do this. Smash the like button, leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Tell me who the best player available to pick up in your league is. Uh, I'm curious to know who's available and floating on waiver wires. People really, like, take umbrage a lot of the time with the fact that, like, oh, well, I can't believe you have him number one. He is not available in my league. But, like, I don't know who's fucking available in your league. So I have to go by the overall ownership numbers. I'm sorry. That's why I list people from, you know, the best pickups to the worst pickups. Not that I really know anything. I mean, they could just be wildly out of order. But that's the method that I like to take. So if, like, the first eight guys are gone on the waiver wire pickup list, number nine would then be the best pickup in your league. I really find it strange that I have to explain this week 10 into the season, but the comments and mad emails that I get are just 
mind-blowing. It, it's frankly disgusting, uh, the fact that some people take their bad fantasy teams way too seriously. Like, uh, someone told me they bought, they bought it in a league. It's a $10 league, uh, season long. So, you know, quality like 74 cents per week. Uh, and they're very, very upset that my waiver list doesn't conform to what happens in their league. It's, it's like I said, really shocking. Anyway, smash that like button while you're out there. The other way to get into the draw for 20 DK dollars is rate, review, subscribe, and download the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast, which will be available shortly after the live version of this show. Normally, they coincide with coming out simultaneously with the video and podcast. But hey, Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast, rate five stars, leave your DraftKings handle, and say something nice about the show, and you too will be in the draw for 20 DK dollars winners from last week. Hopefully, your accounts are credited already. If not, that should come later today or early tomorrow. Big Josh Sorensen wins 20 DK bucks. So it is NDJ. Joyce 13, Davis 410, Vault 520, Davy Dave, Serpico, and or Attica, but just Serpico at this point. Hoagie 89, Cole Bowl 23, Ryan Kooten 50265, QT Quillen, and Jovok. All the winners of 20 DK dollars. Later on this week, on Wednesday, Adam Levitan will be on the show from DK Live and establish the run.com, uh, breaking down the entire DraftKings slate with me. And he wants me to tell you as a heads up if you go to establish the run.com right now and use the promo code MAYO20, get yourself 20% off. Establish the run. Uh, and we review the DraftKings. Pat Mayo Experience Open winning team. There's a established the run gem in there that ended up on the winning team. So we'll go over all of that, and I'll do that with Sal Vetri from the Sal Vetri YouTube channel and the Sal Vetri podcast. What's going on, my man? What's up, Pat? Yeah, I think I heard, did I hear you say at the beginning of all that that you got in trouble this weekend partying naked in some tournaments? Is that what happened? Oh, yeah, of course. That's always what happens. <laughs> Would you have? Would you have a Josh Allen type of lineup? No, uh, Philip Rivers really did not come through. It was, I was really big. I, I stacked the right game. I stacked the wrong pieces of the right game. So instead of having Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, Mike Evans, and then, I mean, I wasn't playing DK Metcalf for that price anyway. If I wanted to stack all the top end options, I ended up going with Jameis, Godwin, and Lockett. If I had just switched those around a little bit, I would have been doing really fine. Yeah, I was actually, I was in your boat with a, a good amount of Phillip Rivers too, and that didn't turn out all that great, although for the Chargers it did, but yeah, a good weekend, excited to break this down, man. Yeah, so let's talk about what we got going on for the DK winning lineup this week. Uh, Total Big E, his second of three lineups, was the winner of the Pat Mayo Experience Open this week, and guess what? Who we, guess who we had at running back, or at uh, quarterback, if you had to guess? Um, I would guess Russell Wilson. That would be correct. See if you can guess the team. I guess that's because it's a team that really anyone could have come to, but we didn't, and he did, so we won 5K. <laughs> okay, so Wilson, McCaffrey, and Jalen Samuels, the starter, somewhere one, in there. One, two, three. Those are the first three names on that list. Okay, Lockett. Uh, no, Tyler Lockett. Wow, so then DK Metcalf? DK Metcalf is on this team, correct. Mike Evans. Mike Evans is on this team, correct. Steelers defense now Redskins defense although they okay. only scored two points yeah. they're they were the cheapest defense on the slate and they allowed you to jam everyone else in interesting so tight end I feel like it's either one of two is it uh, Noah Font or Zach Ertz it's Noah Font correct okay 
Hmm. Uh, Preston Williams? No, it is Mike Williams in that spot. And that was okay. the uh, Josh's hair model this week on Establish the Run. Uh, Mike Williams kept popping week after week after week. It was a lot like Will Fuller earlier in the season. Now, obviously, Mike Williams didn't come down with four touchdowns and score 45 fantasy points. However, at his price point, uh, at, with almost with just over 17 DraftKings points, it actually did work out. His name was redacted this week because it was just so frustrating owning him every single week. But yeah, it only takes three catches sometimes when you're getting all those air yards and he came at the good price the big uh, i guess outlier was noah font at nine at five percent and that the savings that allowed you to spend up the other position the flex spot sal went to josh jacobs there you go yeah josh, josh jacobs was a guy that um in a couple of my three max lineups i just pivoted to in some of the later games on late swaps and yeah i mean he did it like all in the first half i think he had his two touchdowns in the first half he's been he's been spectacular like he might be the rookie of the year as of right now he's up there with kyler murray for sure yeah, I mean, we'll check in on the odds on that just a little bit later on, like the new MVP and the new Rookie of the Year odds. But, it, yeah, it could swing that way a little bit. I think when you look at the bulk numbers for Josh Jacobs by the end of the season that they might look particularly good, but it's hard to think that, hey, if Kyler Murray starts every single game and the Cardinals end up going like 7-8-1 and one, or 6-9-1, and six, eight and one, whatever the hell that is, 6-9-1, and one, whatever that comes up to when he breaks like rookie, rookie rushing records or he throws for 4,000 yards, it would be hard to think that he wouldn't end up winning yeah especially because he's a quarterback and that's just kind of takes priority with the dual threat and he played really well on Thursday night uh, really just keeping them in that game especially late yeah really shoving it in our faces uh anything you want to talk about off the hop that occurred in week nine that really stuck out to you I will say that the Browns need to just get their shit together completely uh probably fire Freddie Kitchens uh I've now jumped off the Freddie Kitchens probably let's give him some time uh there, there was a play in this game and it's going to just get – you're not even going to think about it anymore because they ended up losing the game. But they get within – it's 24 to 18 when they score that touchdown. And instead of going for two, they go for one. Now, I understand that it's they're going to have to get a two-pointer either way. So I don't understand why you just don't take it then. If you take it then and get it, then you're down by four. So if the Broncos kick a field goal, you're only down by seven at that point. Now, I know if it works the other way, then you're down by eight, then you need to get the two. But wouldn't you want to know – that you want to get the two-pointer early, and then that puts you in a position that if you score another touchdown after that, you only need the extra point, and then all of a sudden you're up by a field goal, and then that forces the Broncos. It's weird. Like, sometimes if teams are up by four, teams will play more aggressively, obviously, to score the touchdown and win the game, but if you force them to a situation where they're only down by three, they play for the field goal, and the winning option is off the table that they'll play for overtime. I just thought it was a really bizarre decision. Yeah, you see coaches do that a lot of the time, just kind of wait and get the two-point conversion later in the game. But I completely agree that it's a spot where you probably want to tilt it in your advantage to somewhat just to have the information going in your favor. Like not knowing what you have to do late in the game is not great for you. Whereas, yeah, if you miss the two-point conversion, you know what you have to do. You know you have to push tempo later in the game to make up for that uh, drive and you're going to have to score now twice more instead of late in the game when there's 10 seconds on the clock you miss a two-point conversion the game's over you don't have time to make up for that so yeah getting as much information as possible for these coaches earlier in the game makes sense I think you should always go for two it doesn't just have to be when it's late in the fourth quarter 
it, that just seems like a very particular situation where that should happen. Uh, I know gamblers out there are uh, not doing well today. I got screwed twice in the late game and then again in the Sunday night game. Uh, Feinberg was big on Tampa this week. I really like Tampa this week. A lot of reverse line movement. We gave out the follow the money picks on the Sunday show and it was the Chargers and it was the Bucks with the points only because we looked at where the percentages of money was coming in on both of those games and it was on one side yet the line was moving towards the other side everyone bet on Seattle at minus six and then as the game got closer and closer went to five and a half to five I think it closed at plus four uh, for Tampa Bay and then with the Chargers game I believe 91 percent of the money was on the Packers yet the line didn't move the entire week and really Tampa should have covered that game twice they should have gone for two at the end of the game to see if they could win it and even if they didn't Seattle came down, had a chance to do a field goal, easy Tampa cover. Of course they missed and then scored the touchdown in overtime. But the most tilting thing was I ended up pushing that game. So I rolled that money over onto the Sunday night game and bet Justin Tucker over seven and a half total points. Uh, and he missed his first extra point of the season to finish with seven. So not yeah, great. Wow. Not great. <laughs> I, I was about to say that. I was going to say, is it, is it something that got impacted by the extra point miss? Yeah, that's terrible. The only game um, that I had any sort of action on was – uh, that, that Chargers game that had just a ton of money on Green Bay. I took the Chargers side of it. Just That's the only spot that I'll take some stances on is just home underdogs that have a quality QB and, and a decent pass rush. So um, that's the only spot that I really got to. But, yeah, I saw the line movement, and then it just ends up, depending on where you got that line for Seattle and Tampa Bay, If and it's the biggest thing I say for sports betting, if you can get an early line, and as you know, and hopefully a lot of people listening, if you can get an early line, it's your biggest advantage of just beating the closing line because there's a spot where you probably win the bet uh, and that tilts things just whether you're looking at a monthly balance of what you have to spend on sports betting. So the two other things, going back to that stupid Browns game again, 40% of snaps played by Dontrell Hilliard in this game. And they kept having him on fourth down. Like, just have Nick, if you're going to run a play action or you're going to run a QB sneak with misdirection, at least have your running back on the field that the other team thinks that you're going to give it to, not Dontrell Hilliard. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, your running back who's number one in breakaway percentage, number three overall graded, only behind Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey this year. Yeah, I saw the number. I was going to at first just think, oh, it's game flow. And then I was like, it's not much game flow there. It's just what has been all season long for Cleveland, just really bad coaching on both sides of the ball and definitely on offense. So, yeah, you have Nick Chubb back there. He's literally been a top five running back in the league this season on all grades. So not great. The other one was in that Tennessee game. Now, because I had money on Carolina, it was nice to see, but eventually you got to start throwing Tennessee. Like you're down by 20 something points. Like you might want to stop running the ball on first down and just milking the clock out. I even saw it in the, uh, I forget who tweeted out about it. I'll have to go look it up, but actually I'm not going to go look it up. You can scroll Twitter to see if you can find the tweet, but they made a really good point about Aaron Rodgers in the chargers game. And I think it really mirrored what happened in this Tennessee game. Like you get to a point where it's more valuable, not more valuable, obviously, to throw an interception, but to risk throwing an interception by going downfield if you're serious about actually winning these games. Like, if you're down by three scores, you have to force the issue. It makes more logical sense to throw an interception 35 yards downfield than dinking and dunking and taking four minutes off the clock. Like, I know no one really wants to do that, obviously, because then you, you, know, you hurt your stats, you end up losing by more, but what's the difference between losing by 35 and losing by one? Like, if that's what you know that you're doing in that situation, like, if you're already losing by 20, what, what the hell is the difference if you lose by 35 anymore? 
Yeah, there's not there's not as many consequences at that point. You saw just like AJ Brown later in the game get targeted downfield. Corey Davis won on the right sideline, got targeted for a penalty. But yeah, in the first half, it was just a weird first half for Tennessee in that game because yeah, not targeting downfield, dinking and diming, and not even running with Derrick Henry. So all it was was short passes. I think Derrick Henry had less than five carries in the first half. Deion Lewis actually had five carries, which is the most he's had in the first half. So just a really weird opening script for them in this game. And yeah, they, they really just played from behind the whole time. A couple of uh, a, one fluky interception to start for Tanhill, but the second one, he just stares down his receiver and gets picked off. Uh, let's talk about running backs very briefly here. Uh, I've separated in my waiver wire column, which you can find in the description of this podcast or video. I've separated it into two things. One, if you need a running back this week. Two, if you're up, you don't need a running back. The handcuff rankings. But before we do that, I want to jump into the snap shares just for a second. You can find all of the snap shares up on my Instagram feed at uh, the PME if you want to go check that out. The link again is in the description of this video and podcast but there's only a few running backs that played over 70 percent of their team snaps this week so you had Le'Veon Bell he was number one with 90 percent Christian McCaffrey 86 percent Carson Drake Fournette and Cook all above 80 percent Walton Montgomery Damian Williams and Adrian Peterson all above 70 percent do you think this can continue for either David Montgomery or Damian Williams because it I would have more faith in David Montgomery retaining the snap share. I don't know what the hell is going on in Kansas city. Yeah, definitely David Montgomery. Uh, it's, it's just a headache like, or um, is who I would say to kind of keep there for stable snaps, but even his aren't as stable. If Mike, da- Mike Davis gets back in for 10 to 15%, but I feel better about Montgomery there. The, the thing with Kansas city is like last week, we're saying that you could just dump or two weeks ago, Damian Williams, because his snaps counts are 20%. It's if you go back and look at these running back snap shares, there'll be Daryl Williams leading with 40% one week. They'll see 10% for McCoy in the past 10% for Damian Williams. It's all over the place. I'm not even sure if it's a hot hand. I don't know if they're doing it matchup wise. I really can't uh, put anything on it right now. Otherwise, other, other than it's just really a mess back there. Um, you have McCoy being your lead back two weeks ago for two straight weeks. And now he's barely touching the ball this week. So it's just a backfield, whether it's DFS season long, um, that if you're in season long, I guess you flex it and just pray if that's your best option for that week, maybe bye weeks. But for DFS, it's a spot that every single week I just pretty much ignore. So let's say you're on your season long team. You drafted Damian Williams like the third round. He's been a colossal fucking bust. You didn't play him last week. Is this encouraging to you knowing that Patrick Mahomes is eventually going to return that, hey, maybe all of a sudden Damian Williams is going to be the man again playing at least 65% of the snaps in the Kansas City backfield. Like, let's say you didn't have him, and you know the Damian Williams owner in your league is super frustrated. Now is probably not the week to trade for him coming off the one big run, but if he is going to see around 65 70% of the snaps, and I have no idea if that's going to be the case, would you try to trade for him knowing that every game that he has played more than 65% of the snaps over the last year, he scored around 18 on average fantasy points per game? Yeah, so I I honestly don't think I would try and trade for him. I think if anything, I'd be the guy, if I'm owning him, trying to ship him off and sell him away right now. It's just a spot where every single week it's been so um, up and down. I mean, he played 42% of the snaps last week, 38% the game before that for him. And then he's just been hovering around the 50% range if he even gets that high. So it's a spot where if you do own him, yeah, go ship him for maybe like a Mark Walton, which isn't the the greatest overall return, but seems like it has more upside uh, moving forward, seeing a ton of snaps, something like that. I, I would just try and sell high here if you can at this late in the season, if you don't have a trade deadline yet or, or something like that. Uh, I'm probably not going out of my way to get him because I think realistically next week, you could see this completely turn to they're all around 30 to 40% snaps, or maybe McCoy breaks free for a 50, 60% snap day. There's really nothing to it that stays uh, consistent so far this season. 
The injuries at running back, no giant ones stick out. It looks like McCaffrey may have injured himself on that last touchdown run at the end of the Carolina game, but they might have just been up by so much. It was like, eh, whatever. He had his helmet back on on the sidelines towards the end of that game. So James Conner has the shoulder issue he missed last week. We don't know if he's going to be back or not for this week. Benny Snell missed. Chase Edmonds missed. David Johnson. Ido Smith was on bye week, but he had previously been injured. Same as Elvin Kamara. Same as Malcolm Brown. And Chris Thompson, once again, missed his third straight week with the turf toe injury. Did not play against Buffalo in Buffalo in week nine. The only other one, kind of to pair it with Chris Thompson a little bit, Darius Geis is eligible to return week 11 for the Redskins. So not this week, the week after. Um, It's not a great schedule down the end of the season, but do you think that he ends up just getting the role that Peterson has, or do you envision some sort of split? And would you pick up Darius Geis? Yeah, I think you could pick him up if you got just nothing else on your bench. I'm not too optimistic about it. We'll see how he actually comes back from this injury. They said that, I mean, he's just had so many complications. They said that he finally looks okay. He hasn't been a full go so far, any type of practice, so we'll see. But, I mean, Adrian Peterson, it's not like he's just going out there running into a brick wall not doing anything, and you need somebody to replace him. He looks really good out there. I mean, I think there was three straight runs in this game to open it up in the first half against uh, Buffalo where he's just going out there and and running for like 10 to 15 yard chunks and not just in huge holes. I mean, he's breaking tackles and cutting. So if anything, if guys comes back, I would see it to be some sort of split there. It makes sense. Guys is the younger guy. You want to give him maybe more work than Peterson, Uh, but Peterson is doing nothing to kind of take the ball out of his hands right now. If anything, he's been uh, producing very well. And you, you kind of see that with him playing, the far majority of the snaps over Smallwood right now. Yeah, once again, Peterson played over 70% of the snaps, but he gets to the point in the season where your team is fucking terrible. So you're dealing with the situation where, hey, do we we don't even know what we have with Darius Geis at this point. He's been injured for the first year and a half of his career. You might have to give him some run just to even to see durability issues. Can he hold up as a lead back? Is he a split back? Is this a wasted pick? Like, you know what Adrian Peterson is. He's an old running back who's on your team because you have nothing else and He's probably not going to be back next year. God forbid he's back next year with the Redskins. I mean, you'd think they'd want to take some incremental steps forward to be getting better, but maybe Geist can be a part of their future. You get him some reps with Haskins. I don't know. It just seems like you would want to use him. I just have no idea how healthy Andrew Goody is. Yeah, that's the biggest piece is just his health reasons. And I, I don't know, maybe they'll maybe they'll try and have Adrian Peterson. I don't know how many running backs, if any, have ever hit the 3,000 carry mark um, in their career, but he's got to be, I think he's like 20 or 30 away from that. So we'll see if that's something that they try and feed him these next two weeks. So the overall waiver wire pickups, not any real changes from last week. Mark Walton stays at number one. Again, he played over 70% of the snaps. That doesn't seem to be changing in any time in the near future. Ronald Jones, the second number two. We'll talk about him in a second. Jalen Samuels, if he, if James Connor misses next week obviously Samuels would be number one and Trey Edmonds would actually move up on this list a little bit Geis Ty Johnson who once again played the most snaps but didn't do anything with him against Oakland uh Daryl Henderson back from by JD McKissick using the passing game for the Lions Chris Thompson I expect him to be back sometime soon and they will start passing to him out of the backfield like they don't for Wendell Smallwood Jay Ajayi I have at number nine he's been making the rounds here over the past like three weeks anytime there's a sort of running back injury it just feels like he's going to be signed by someone at some point and when Trey Carson went on the injured reserve for the Lions I fully expected Ajayi to end up getting signed and maybe not play this week he worked out on Friday for Detroit uh, but he might be signed sometime during this week but he's a spec ad you don't even need to use a waiver claim on him right now and I have no idea how good he's going to be but again this really speaks to how deep your league is that would you take a fly 
flyer on him? Like, if Geis and Ajayi were both available, and I know Ajayi doesn't even have a team at this point, which one would you pick? Because I would still pick Geis. Yeah, I'd pick Geis because there's just more upside there, I would think, in terms of if he comes back, it's less people to compete with in that backfield. Whereas I, I was thinking the same thing. Ajayi looks like uh, the spot would be maybe Detroit, but there's still so many backs that would be involved. Ty Johnson, you would imagine, stays involved to a, a decent extent. And then McKissick's been playing well enough to stay involved for a 20% snap. So wherever Ajayi goes, it seems like he's gonna, just going to be in a two- to three-headed backfield um, and probably not be the guy who breaks out right away. Uh, so I, I'd still choose Geis there. Uh, so the Ronald Jones thing, uh, everyone got really fired up when he scored that touchdown against Seattle. Now, here, here's a few things. I know that Tampa Bay plays in a lot of shootout games, but very rarely, you know, over 70 points are scored in some of these games. And when you actually look at the breakdown of how much that he ended up playing, 53% of the snaps in this game, and he had to score a touchdown to have any sort of usefulness as it was. Like, I don't think that he's as bad as maybe I had thought he was coming into the season. Clearly, he's carved himself out a role. But if we go into next week and all of a sudden Peyton Barber is playing all the snaps again, I'm not going to be super stunned. Like, he's worth owning, but I can't envision a situation where I'd be like, you know who I really want to play this week? Uh, Ronald Jones II. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. And like also just schedule-wise, they play the Saints and then they have to go on the road to the Falcons, two teams that have been very good against the run, so not a great spot at all. Yeah, Ronald Jones coming into the season. In the preseason, he was in better shape. They were saying all this stuff that they say about almost every single player who um, just is positive in the coach's light. But then he's also like in his career and so far all the year and in the offseason, I think he was diagnosed with it officially. Some sort of injury similar to, but not the same extent of Todd Gurley. It doesn't seem like it's aggravated him this year. Something for like a dynasty league, maybe you kind of, pay closer attention to but in the next two weeks not the greatest of matchups and like you said like this is a team that wants to pass the ball first and if he's finally breaking free in games where they score this many points it's not something that's sustainable especially with two other guys in the backfield playing 50 percent of the snaps each week one of the biggest things that could open up for everyone that stashed Devin Singletary uh, throughout the first course of the season, throughout the hamstring injury, right now I see that he's still around like 65% owned. So he is available even in some leagues. Like he's the number one guy to go pick up if you can. But he ended up playing against the skin, 64% of the snaps to Frank Gore's 36%. Now this kind of works one of two ways. Frank Gore had like eight chances to score a touchdown against Washington from in close. They just kept turning it around and giving it to Frank Gore. It was still pretty close in terms of overall touches. But frankly, as we've seen almost every single week, Singletary has looked significantly better. Do you think that we can lock this down, that this is Devin Singletary's backfield at least two-thirds of the time from here on out? Or do you think that the Bills go back and, hey, it's a split, and if we're up by a bunch, we're still going to give it to Frank Gore for three yards at a time? Yeah, I think this is something that I think, if anything, I would rely closer on Singletary getting these 60% of the snaps. I was kind of questioning it going into this week because, yeah, like the week before it was a, a huge blow or they were behind big to the Eagles. So getting the guy who can catch the ball a little bit better and make plays outside of your 30, what, like four? How old is Frank Gore? 34-year-old running back, 36? I don't even know how old this guy is back there. Not 90 yeah, it, yeah, 98 years old over there in, in dog years. Uh, but you get um Frank Gore who's now it's going to get colder in Buffalo doesn't help his case I think it is Devin Singletary's backfield moving forward the thing with Devin Singletary though is you've obviously probably been stashing him or you just picked him up on waivers if he continues to do well and you can shop him for something higher in your league maybe you do it he faces the Steelers on the road in the fantasy playoffs the Ravens at home and then in the championship week for most teams he faces on the road in New England so really brutal matchup maybe he gets you there but if he has like another really good game or two or even right now might be a spot if you can package him in a deal to get somebody who's a more consistent player with an easier matchup in the playoffs, you should be looking to do that. 
I agree. Let's talk about wide receivers. Uh, actually, no, let's talk about the handcuffs. Like I said I separated these into two lists now. So at the top of the handcuff rankings uh, going into week 10, and if you're you know, seven and one, or I guess eight and one, nine and one, whatever the hell you are now. Yeah, eight and one, seven and two. If you're going to make the playoffs, you might want to start looking at these guys. Alexander Madison, Tony Pollard, Wayne Gallman, Jalen Samuels, Reggie Bonafon, better than Miss Scarlet, by the way. Daryl Henderson, Raquel Armstead, Gus Edwards, Rashad Penny, and Chase Edmonds. Uh, I know Chase Edmonds is currently hurt, but I do think that he would be the guy. And maybe it's a split with Drake if something were to happen with David Johnson. Maybe we can talk about that situation in a second. But I don't care if you own Delvin Cook or not. You should be owning Alexander Madison. If he is gone, then you should be owning Tony Pollard. What we're looking for in a handcuff is preferably you'd like to handcuff your guy at this point of the season so you don't need to make a waiver move like anyone who owned James Conner. If you would just own Jalen Samuel. Everything worked out really well. But in this case, that if Cook goes down, and I know Amir Abdullah played more snaps against Kansas City. That seems to be a one-week aberration. If we see that moving forward, then yeah, we'll have to adjust these a little bit. But if there's no Cook, expect like 70% Madison. If there's no Ezekiel Elliott, expect like 75-80% Tony Pollard behind that awesome Cowboys offensive line. Like These guys are legit starts every single week if the guy in front of them goes down and that's better than holding like if you don't need mark walton then don't pick up mark walton pick up one of these guys right yeah i I completely agree with that if you're in a situation where you have one of these guys you should get it and i agree with the amir abdullah take you had a kirk cousins game where he threw 38 times that probably doesn't happen majority of the time based on just what his average is this year and the way they want to run that offense more times than not madison plays more of the snaps and he is the true handcuff there abdullah was just needed more in passing situations especially late in that game so yeah the handcuffs that you listed i think are all great i think i like Rykel Armstrad probably a little bit more or, or better there, but we don't know if he falls into the same role in terms of the pass catching work as Leonard Fournette in a small sample. We've seen he's able to catch the ball, uh, but he's very similar to all these other guys. Just find the, the best volume overall and, and try and get that handcuff, whether you're with them or you're not in terms of if you don't own that player, you should probably still try and get it because it would give you just a, a top five or 10 running back going into the playoffs. Uh, wide receiver injuries from week nine. Preston Williams exited the game with a knee injury, although early reports say that he is fine uh, and that he should be good to go against Indianapolis this week. Elshon Jeffrey left the game with an ankle injury in the same game on the same team on the other side of the field. Uh, we have Deshaun Jackson. He tried to come back from his abdominal injury and he made it through like a series and he was out. The Eagles go on to bye week this week, so that should be okay. Ditto for Dede Westbrook. He didn't play with a shoulder injury over in london they also go on to their bye week so he should return in week 11 for jacksonville so don't be worried too much about dd westbrook at this point uh duke williams uh for the bills sat out with a hamstring injury and then we saw an uptick in snaps from cole beasley beasley always a pretty decent play ppr wise anytime the duke williams splits whenever duke williams plays as we've seen for like the previous four weeks it ends up becoming a bit of a timeshare especially for those targets over the middle on the short a dot routes from josh allen the other injuries just to keep an eye on uh brendan cooks suffered a concussion before the bye monitor his status throughout the week sterling shepherd was cleared from concussion protocol for the monday night game and they put it back into concussion protocol so he is not playing on monday night Nikhil harry has not been activated as of yet he did not go in the sunday night game with his ankle injury for the patriots so he's eligible to play he is just not active as of yet aj green keep an eye on coming off of bye he could return soon traquan smith could return coming off the bye week and i guess the biggest one realistically is adam thielen he suffered that hamstring injury a few weeks ago couldn't go in the thursday night game it took him a series to re-aggravate it again 
on Sunday against the Chiefs. I doubt we see him probably for a few weeks. Hamstring injuries need time to heal. I can't believe they ran him back out there if there was actually a risk of re-injury for this, and they may have fucked themselves over. Yeah, I can't believe that. And then just based on how quick it happened and how quick he was ruled out shows you the extent to it. It it seems serious. We'll get more news. But I also can't believe that they were at all toying with the idea of playing him on the previous week's Thursday night slate on like three days of rest with a hamstring injury. But yeah, you saw Busy Johnson come in, take on the wide receiver two responsibilities. I think Laquan Treadwell had just more production, but on very limited snaps. So yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about the waiver wire, but Busy Johnson stands out as a guy at the wide receiver two position who has some value now and increased value for sure with Thielen uh, potentially missing at least a week, I would imagine. Yeah, so the overall rankings, I put Zach Pascal number one because now T.Y. Hilton's going to miss another two to three weeks with his injury. I suppose I probably should have written him down as well. Just half. If it doesn't happen on Sunday, it's like at a site, at a mine. It's like we had to prepare for no T.Y. Hilton around. Uh, and this could be with a backup quarterback because Jacoby Brissett is also injured. Preston Williams, number two. I'm going to bank on the health. Devontae Parker, number three. Paris, Gamble, the Frenchman. So Colts and apparently no one owns Colts receivers outside of T.Y. Hilton just no one owns Dolphins receivers uh Auden Tate I have at number five Cole Beasley uh B.C. Johnson Mohamed Sanu Russell Gage and Josh Gordon I don't really know what to do with Josh Gordon what his role is going to be but I know the talent is high enough I think that uh B.C. Johnson we saw him run the Adam Thielen routes uh when he caught his touchdown that was an Adam Thielen play so if Adam Thielen isn't around and we know the red zone work that he gets on those short little slant routes even throwing something over the middle of the field or even break to the back corner that's what Thielen does when they get down there it seemed like BC Johnson was just mimicking those routes so I do think that the touchdown upside if they get in close for BC Johnson is somewhat high Russell Gage very sneaky took over that Muhammad Sanu role in Atlanta no one really noticed and I guarantee you he's available in 99.9 percent of leagues yeah, Russell Gage, that was a question coming into that week. Would it be Russell Gage t- taking it over? Would it be more Justin Hardy in the slot? It was pretty clearly Russell Gage in that game, so that makes sense to go out and snag him. If Sanu, for some reason, is on a waiver, definitely go out and snag him after a 14-target, 10-catch performance. Uh, and, yeah, I think that if A.J. Green is there, it's worth just stashing a little bit. Um, those, are, those are the main things that I saw. I do think that Brandon Cooks, to keep a close eye on this, because they said that his meeting with the specialist went okay and fine, but they're going to be very cautious with a guy who now has had five concussions in his like five or six year career that have been just reported alone. So there's a chance that you can get a one or two week, maybe fill in there uh, with a Josh Reynolds who has been productive uh, in spots when filling in, in that offense. Um, but yeah, the wide receivers, uh, I agree. Zach Pascal, even if you get T Y Hilton playing is still a decent stash. He played 92% of the snaps last week when Hilton was out there uh, again, though, like you said, Brian Hoyer, he, he looked okay. He made a lot of mistakes as a backup quarterback is going to do, but he's a seasoned um, or, or more of a veteran. So he's definitely able to get the ball to his receivers. And we saw him do that. We saw great catches by Pascal too. So he can create for himself as well. I agree with him kind of being up there towards the top of this board. And I think unless I saw wrong, I think Brissett's already ruled out for next week, or it's at least very doubtful already. Uh, I, I thought the last thing I had read was that he had not officially been ruled out as of yet. So, I mean, Zach Pascal put up most of his production with Brian Hoyer. When Brian Hoyer entered the game, we started seeing Paris Cambul start doing some reverses. They wanted to get him more involved as a speed threat. And he's just a big body down in the red zone as well. That And they're playing Miami. I mean, that's a big part of this as well. Yeah, it's a huge part of it. I mean, you're playing Miami that has literally just Ken Webster, which is not really the scariest name you probably don't even know that name for a cornerback really there's there's nothing really there to stop uh these types of players and yeah he he has a lot of skill Uh, this is a guy who i really wasn't believing in because he didn't have the snap count Uh, but now pascal's uh snap counts following him in the high 90s so it's it's pretty elite usage right now 
Yeah, I don't see it as of yet. As of uh, 10.30 this morning, that's the last update that I'm seeing, is that he was diagnosed with a sprained MCL. That usually keeps people out. But he had not been officially ruled out as of yet. Yeah, I probably saw probably the exact same thing and just read it as officially ruled out instead of not officially. Yeah, when we get to the actual streaming quarterback section, Brian Hoyer is in there and Brissett is not. I wouldn't expect him to play. Like when I release my rankings on Tuesday in the likely in or likely out category, uh, Brissett is going to fall under likely out. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, just everything that's coming out right now is he's pretty much ruled out without it. I mean, at past events, you see guys miss a couple weeks with this injury at the quarterback position. Where would you put Nikhil Harry into these rankings? I purposely did not put him in because I wanted to get your take on this because I, I, I don't know when he's actually going to be activated, what his role in this offense is actually going to be. Like There was a lot of Ben Watson on the field for the Patriots last night, and this is getting to the harder part of their schedule, which may actually help out some of these receivers a little bit because they're going to be playing in more competitive games and they probably won't be behind like they were on Sunday night, but they might have to throw a little bit more. The issue is with Dorsett, with now Sanu and Edelman, is there room for Harry here? Like, does he knock Dorsett off his perch? I don't know. Maybe he ends up splitting some of these receiver snaps with either Jacoby Myers or Ben Watson, but, like, do you really want the fourth wide receiver on the Patriots knowing James White is probably still ahead of you on the receiving pecking order? Yeah, it's definitely a good point at the end, too, with James White. Uh, yeah, no, he's, he's like a secondary option for this team, which almost puts him and probably puts him just not needed. He'll stay on the waivers, and if you need to snag him one week, you can. I'm not going to make a priority to pick up um, Harry right now. I'm just not going to get there. It's a spot where you saw Sanu they traded for, so he's going to stay on the field. 100% of the snaps for him in a game where they had to throw a ton, ran a ton of 12, 11 personnel last night as they trailed early and for the most part of the game. Edelman's not coming off the field, 100% of the snaps for him. And Brady likes Philip Dorsett. Like he says, and he's preached out and kind of um, just said that he likes when Dorsett's on the field. He feels comfortable targeting him downfield. And he played 99% of the snaps last night. So I just don't see him coming in. If anything, maybe he starts to take a little bit of the snaps away from, I would imagine, Dorsett. It's just not a spot that I think it does. And, and then behind him, yeah, like you said, you have Jacoby Myers, who was a standout in the preseason, a guy that they like, a guy that Brady likes as well. So he just kind of falls into that fourth or fifth option at best, which for that single team is not great for fantasy. What do you think is a more accurate overreaction to the Patriots and Baltimore game? I saw both of them floating around. Is it, on the one hand, Brady's actually finished. Now that they actually played someone, he's an old man and he's no good. Or two... Bill Belichick didn't show off the real defense for when they play Baltimore again, and they'll be super surprised. Uh, it's definitely the real defense one, like as if they didn't want to win that game. Um, the, the, the biggest, they're both overreactions. I mean, Brady, the way he has been winning for two to three years straight now is just dinking and diming for the most part. And yes, he can still complete passes downfield. He's been a little bit worse there this season, a lot worse there this season. But the whole scheme is just for him to throw it short. I mean, that's why you get Sanu, a guy who's been a slot wide receiver and can play on the outside and run those routes. So there's, there's no worry with the way that Brady fits in um, to this offense and the way that they want to run things. And obviously experience helps that. Uh, the defense was trying their hardest last night. It was just a, a total mismatch in terms of what Lamar Jackson was doing on the offensive side of it. And it's just insane that really one player in that game, and there was a big play on defense that shifts things, but even early on, one player can just cause so much havoc in Lamar Jackson that a defense that has looked that good looked really dumb on a handful of plays. Tight end, waiver wire going into week 10. Uh, the injuries I have right now are Cameron Brait played a series or two and left with rib injuries. Um, that, that's not great news. And another down two tight ends, Tanner Hudson time. 
Uh, he was actually running routes yesterday as well. Ricky Seals-Jones left the Browns game with a knee injury. No word yet on how serious it is. It looked kind of serious. So that puts him and David Njoku both out, leaving Demetrius Harris, who should have caught a touchdown from Baker Mayfield. It was just a terrible throw. But at least he's getting more involved. And he's a freak athlete. He's so fast. So maybe in a pinch, if you need Demetrius Harris, you can go there. Jeff Hurman for the Broncos did not play, leading to more Noah Fant. Noah Fant in two games without Emmanuel Sanders on the Broncos right now. Now, seeing around 25% of the team's market share of targets, which is very important. At least he caught some of them this week and was able to break a big one. It's not like the previous week where he's getting all these targets and dropping every pass. So good news from Noah Fant. Uh, Jared Cook had missed a few games with the ankle injury. The Saints come off by week. Chris Herndon played in week nine, but didn't do anything. Ryan Griffin was on the field the entire time. Coming off the bye, Jeff Swain could return for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Vernon Davis has just been out forever with his concussion. Delaney Walker shed his walking boot this week, but still may not play in week 10. OJ Howard in the hamstring, not back yet. Matt Lacoste and the Izzo man for the Patriots not playing, leading to Ben Watson playing 100% of the snaps. Pickups below 90 or 60% ownership right now. Gerald Everett, number one, coming off the bye. I know Josh Reynolds stands to benefit if Brendan Cooks is out. I think that Everett does too. He was the hot pickup, but then he went on bye week and everyone kind of forgot about him, so now he's available to pick up. Now, eventually Chris Herndon's going to be healthy, but you you don't need to have him, I guess. Uh, Darren Fells is going on bye week, and so is Noah Fant, so it's tough to pick those guys up if you you don't want to hoard three tight ends on your team but keep those guys on your radar they should be a free pickup going into next week uh, that if you do have the bench room or you do need a tight end and you have a spot to stash away maybe make a move on Sunday pick one of these guys up just so you have them for the next week if you wanted to play him Goddard Ebron Demetrius Harris like I mentioned Johnny Smith no security on his job Gesicki and Jacob Hollister two guys who had big games on Sunday any faith in either of these two, because Ed Dixon's going to return for the Seahawks pretty soon. And Hollister was just, you know, four catches, two touchdowns. I wouldn't expect that every week. Yeah, I wouldn't expect that. I actually do have some faith in Gesicki at a weak tight end position. I mean, it's the offense you're playing with. It seems like his connection has been primarily with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So one really bad game from Fitzpatrick, and that goes all out the window. But he's looked pretty solid. I mean, it takes tight ends a long time. It's been years now or a couple of years for Gesicki in the league. Uh, but the last month or so has been by far the best of his career. This might have been the best game of his career as well, catching six passes for 95 yards. He just looks, I mean, he's a physically dominating tight end. And in college, he looked like that. And he made outstanding catches and he beat uh, linebackers and safeties and DBs. But he hasn't been doing that in the NFL. Over the past three weeks, he has. Um, so it's a spot where this offense in general has been throwing the ball a lot more and they will continue to do that. Uh, I he's a guy that I like. I do think Noah Font, he, he's definitely seeing target shares, but the only thing with that is, I mean, you, you have 20 pass attempts this pr- past week from Allen. He's seen seven targets, I believe, the last two weeks, which is good. If Herman comes back, his snaps are surely going to go down from the 85% he's ran the last two weeks. So I think in DFS, he was a good play at the price point. In terms of season long, it's okay if you need a spot to stash it, but I wouldn't look for probably as much upside out of him just because of the offense in general and a guy coming back from injury. And yeah, Tanner Hudson was a preseason superstar uh, in terms of probably the best player in the entire preseason. So it'll be interesting to see if he's now in that offense as a, he ran, I think he played 60% of the snaps once Brayton went down. So we'll see how that goes with him and Howard. Yeah, it's funny because if the, if both Brayton Howard are out and Tanner Hudson is running routes, do you have any faith that he can be on the same page as Jameis? Because, you know, he's used to working with like the scrub backups. Yeah, I don't even remember. Is it Ryan Griffin? I don't even remember who the third string uh, quarterback is for them. But yeah, they had a crazy. Yeah, they had a crazy connection in the preseason. I mean, it was just stack those two guys every week in preseason, and you were just like printing money for three weeks there. But 
yeah, I don't know if he'll have the connection with it, but if you look at this team, I mean, Perriman finally got free as the wide receiver three on this team for some production this week, kind of fluky, his touchdown, I think it was like deflected. He ends up catching it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tanner Hudson, probably more DFS type of a play. I don't want to play him in season long, but if he's going to be min price in this offense where they're going to be throwing it 40 times more times than not, um, it, it's a spot where uh, you're obviously punting it, but there's some upside there. We know this guy can at least catch the ball if it's thrown his way. Week 10 waiver wire streams. Phillip Rivers was the first one that cracked in mind. He didn't throw any touchdowns on Sunday against the Packers, but they played really well. He was super efficient. Threw the ball really well down the field, too. And now he gets Oakland one-point favorite on Thursday night. He's available in... in well, his ownership percentage is like 58%, so he's potentially available. Daniel Jones uh, is a really interesting one because you can pick him up for free right now because he hasn't played yet this week. Don't play him against the Cowboys, but he gets the Jets next week. Uh, and basically, to start anyone against the Jets, I think, at this point, and you're looking pretty good. Jimmy Garoppolo in what could be a shootout against Seattle. I like that. Derek Carr also Thursday night against the Chargers. Don't like that quite as much. Then you got Tannehill against Kansas City, Hoyer against Miami, Fitzpatrick at Indy. And Darnold against the Giants, man. Darnold sucks. He's also going bald, which I found out this week, which I find very funny. He's going bald. Can elaborate on that. I just he took off his helmet. He's like well, you could see the be- you could see the beginning of the horseshoe forming on the top of his head. Oh, that's a big yikes for him. But yeah, no, I mean it's probably the last month of the season for him. Maybe maybe it's partially the mono. And I don't know if that's a a symptom of now he's got something else coming out. But yeah, he has not looked good. There's multiple times in this game. I mean, terrible interceptions. I don't even know what happened on the ball that just gets. Um, he's not even looking off communication. It seems to be at least the center was saying literally after the game, though, that's not on me. That's on the quarterback. Uh, so not great right there for Darnold. Yeah, I think those streaming options make sense. I think Brian Hoyer is an interesting one just because of the matchup. And um, he's been able to at least seem good. So if he's on your waivers and he's like the best bet, I wouldn't be as scared of that name as it might seem. I mean, the matchup's really going to prop that one up there. Um, and then, yeah, Philip Rivers makes sense as well. Just pulling up the rest of the waivers that I have here is, um, yeah, Sam Darnold, Daniel Jones, I think makes sense. We've seen this defense for the Jets continue to have injuries. Jermaine Johnson didn't play this past week. And, I mean, the fill-ins for him, the rotating door really at the other cornerback position uh, opposite of Daryl Roberts, it's both of these guys are bad. And now with Jermaine Johnson out, it's just it's anything can happen that you want to go down the field and potentially having Sterling Shepard back uh, for that game and Golden Tate. It's going to be a good spot for Daniel Jones overall. The, the only thing about Chef Hoyardee that really worries me is that you can run all over Miami, so it just might be a big Marlon Mack game, and then you're relying on him to throw, like, three touchdowns just to make up the points. A lot like what Fitzpatrick did this weekend against the Jets. Like, good DFS play for the price point. I mean, my best lineups were my Fitzpatrick lineups with Devontae Parker and Preston Williams. That turned out really well. Just the rest of the guys didn't turn out so well. But you're going to need three touchdowns probably from Hoyer to make it worth your while, because I don't think that he's going to be throwing 45 times in this game. Like you're probably looking at 25 pass attempts. Hopefully he can crack 250 yards. You need the scores to come along with it. And if he doesn't get the scores, he's kind of useless. That's my only worry. This is a game where he can throw three touchdowns, but banking on that is tough. Yeah. The three touchdowns for DFS is is what you're going to need. And yeah, I don't want him in DFS at all. If it's a season long thing, maybe a 14 team league and you need him on there. I think you can get by if he, if he does have just a two touchdown day, somewhere in the 200 middling yards for you, I think you're actually fine. And and you take that and you run with it and you get by for the week through these, is it six teams on by this week? Six teams on by. We got the Broncos on by. We got the Patriots on by the Eagles, the skins, the Jags and the Texans all on by. So Realistically, you're probably only down to Sean Watson, maybe Carson Wentz. I doubt you're starting Brady at this point uh, in fan. Actually, no, there's definitely someone in your league who's starting Tom Brady. It's, his name is Tom Brady. They're like, oh, man, he's quarterback, best fantasy quarterback. Everyone has a guy, a moron like that in your league who's like, oh, man, Tom Brady is so sick. I'm going to play him. 
yeah, he's not great at fantasy. But Deshaun Watson, like you're missing like someone legitimate. So if you can go get Rivers or go get Jones to fill in those blanks, that's probably where you want to go. Yep. Yeah. I think Jones is the one that stands out. I, I have right now Jones uh, number one and then Rivers number two. And then it's just a, a bunch of options after that, that I probably don't want to touch all that much. All right. So streaming defenses, I'm going to start doing this from this. It's got to the point of the season where we really need to start projecting ahead. So what do you do this week? What do you do next week? What do you start doing for the fantasy playoffs? Eventually I'll have the best defenses for weeks 14, 15, and 16 as well. But right now, best defenses in week 10 and 11 week 10, I got Pittsburgh at home against the Rams and why do I like that so much? Well, they also get Cleveland next week. So if you, you can do the two first, so you can pick them up this week and you can play them both the weeks. That's why they're actually against the Rams here. Plus, they have an excellent defensive line against a bad offensive line for the Rams. I expect the Rams to put up points, but I think the Steelers are a tough defensive matchup for them. Baltimore at Cincinnati, the Giants at the Jets. Good pass rush against bad offensive line. Once again, ditto for Kansas City at Tennessee. And then Indianapolis against Miami. Like, let's be real here. It's not like Miami's turned the corner on the season. The Jets just suck uh indy doesn't although they have a backup quarterback their defense is still all right week 11 waiver wire pickups for defensive streams you have pittsburgh at cleveland if you can figure out a way to get the rams in there they play chicago minnesota at home against denver then you have new orleans at tampa bay and washington against the jets it's almost pick on the jet season sal yeah, that's what it is after these past couple of weeks. And, I mean, they have one of the worst offense. Like, yeah, Darnold has been really bad, but one of the worst offensive lines in the league is just going to lead to even more mistakes for Sam Darnold when he's just when he's rushed. And he threw one of the worst picks that I've seen into the red zone. Um, it was, like, inside the 10-yard line, and he just uh, – it's a throwaway spot for 99.9% of the other quarterbacks in the league, and he just tries to jam it into a group of, like, six defenders, and it's just clearly picked off and a terrible decision there. Um, so it's a spot where, yeah, exactly what you said. You should be looking ahead at this point. If, you, if you're in a week-by-week basis needing to win, then sure, stay in that week-by-week basis uh, mode and streaming defenses. But if you can kind of stack up your uh, opponents where you're going to be getting Miami in the fantasy playoffs uh, in teams of that nature, even the Jets, teams that really just have bad offensive lines. And if you can get a good defense that has a good defensive line, even better. I think the Steelers are the number one option there. And the Steelers also, like in terms of DraftKings, most undervalued team so far this whole season. They are a defense that has a really good – defense in the secondary as well as up front like you were saying getting Minka Fitzpatrick we saw him just have the pick six this past week he's really helped them in the secondary let's talk about Monday night football Cowboys at Giants so far this week this game opened at seven points it is now dropped down to six and a half points you would think where do you think that the money is coming in on this game Sal do you think it's on the Giants or do you think it's on the Cowboys I would think on this one that it would be on the Cowboys. Yes. 84% of bets that have been placed have been on the Cowboys. 78% of the money is coming in on the Cowboys. Yet, the line has moved towards the Giants. Does that that intrigue you into the Giants plus six and a half? Yeah, it does a little bit. I mean, they're at home. Um, They're going to be fully rested here. You can say similar things uh, about the... Uh, Dallas Cowboys as well so it intrigues me a little bit when you see that line movement a uh, uh, some it's probably a spot where I just don't get if anything at the end of the day if I had to put money on this for the line I still probably lean uh, Dallas a little bit but six and a half points if you're catching that at home and you do have uh, a lot of athletes on this offense so at least move the ball it's an interesting spot for sure so if we look into the props before we talk about DraftKings showdown a little bit uh, is there any prop that sticks out to you I'm going to throw throw out some yardage totals here Ezekiel Elliott rushing yards over under 91 and a half or Barkley over under 75 and a half 
Uh, Barkley stands out to me. I mean, we saw it was all on really one big run week one from Barkley. And then they got behind big, which is the issue there. If you're, if you're down and you just abandon the running runs 14 times, that's what the problem is. He can still get there on that. Um, but if Barkley, if this game stays close at all in a neutral script, if he sees 16 or more carries, I feel good about that number um, from Barkley. This is a, this is a Dallas team that has been struggling with uh, versatile pass catching running backs. We saw it with Aaron Jones. We saw it with Barkley week one. Uh, let's talk about the receiving game then. There's a couple out here, like Amari Cooper over under 79 and a half. That's a bit tough. How about Michael Gallup over 70 or 57 and a half receiving yards? Yes, I love that. Michael Gallup, in terms of like DraftKings in general, he's probably got the best matchup on the entire slate tonight um, for either team, either side on offense. He's going to probably get DeAndre Baker for much of the game. Baker, worst cornerback in the league, 153.6 <laughs> passer rating against, but like literally the worst. If anybody over 40 coverage snaps, which 40 coverage snaps is like one game, uh, he is the worst in the league. I've never seen anything in the 150s. It's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, 510 yards given up this season, five touchdowns. It's a spot where Michael Gallup will see him for at least 50 plus percent of this game. And Michael Gallup, we'll get into the pricing, but uh, he's been very undervalued by sports books as well as uh, DraftKings this whole season. So that's like the one prop. I I've been trying to search for props all day here, and I they're like not popping up on a lot of these spots um, that I try and use. But I was trying to find Michael Gallup's receiving yards and receptions prop. I like the yards. What is is there receptions on him? Yeah, the receiving prop is four and a half receptions, and it's plus one twenty five to bet the over. I would feel more comfortable being that he's a bigger A dot player in the yardage rather than the actual receptions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I, four is like, it's obviously where they're putting it there, but it's one that, that more times than not, you probably see him get. So yeah, it's probably a, a push for me on that. I don't really want that, but the, the yards is something that I like a lot there. It's also well, a, it's also a giant secondary that is really bad at tackling in, in the secondary unit. So it's just yards after the catch are going to be much easier to get. Well, the, here's the one that really stuck out to me. Like you have one of two here. Like if we know that Sterling Shepard is out for this game, what happens as a six and a half point dog, you would expect a lot of passing. So which Giants pass catcher do you think you would target either in receptions or total yardage? You have Golden Tate. The over under is four and a half for receptions. Now to bet the over is minus 175. So everyone is betting the over in that spot. But his over under for yardage is 54 and a half. Like if everyone thinks he's going to get five or more catches, you think that he would get over 54 and a half wouldn't he yeah you would think that he's he's obviously running out of the slot primarily but he will go on the outside some his better matchup will be in the slot um and it's just a spot where he's gonna have to rely a little bit more on volume so yeah the receptions prop there it's just a spot where when it's that big of juice on it and you if you win it you're 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 winning the bet surely but if you're just thinking about like how many bets you have to win to go profitable it's kind of like a wash for that bet so i just kind of stay away from that i'd rather go to the receiving yards prop imagine you just get better juice on the line you do. And now against New England, Arizona, and Detroit, the first game back when he was on like a, not necessarily a limited snap count, but just meshing with Daniel Jones for the first game against Minnesota, uh, six targets, 13 yards, no good. In the three subsequent games that Golden Tate has played, 102, 80, 85 yards on 9, 11, and 10 targets, over four and a half catches in each of those, six, six, and eight. I do like this, you uh, mean Gallup and Tate together? I mean, you can't parlay them because they're all from the same game, but just individually, you're not paying a ton of big on it and i like both those props independently yeah i agree and also it's just daniel jones where he wants to throw the ball like sterling shepherd the first two or three weeks was in the slot and that's when shepherd was having his best games golden tate comes back goes into the slot daniel jones is throwing to the slot uh more than eight times per game he's averaging like 8.4 attempts per game to the slot so that's pretty good if you can just project in there eight targets for golden tate here just has to catch whatever it is the four and a half for the over under that's why a lot of people like it but also he's only catching it's a very bad catch percentage that is what you're going to get with a rookie quarterback he's only catching 63 percent of those passes so it's pretty much a toss-up on do you 
think he gets a couple yards after the catch. This Dallas secondary, it's a speedy secondary, but it's, it's still pretty young. And they did not get Jamal Adams. So not the greatest of secondary units in terms of tackling outside the top 15. So, yeah, Gallup stands at the top of that one. I think I like Saquon's rushing yards. Uh, but Golden Tate would be the pass catcher I like most. What is, what is Darius Slayton's, I would say, receptions um, number? Two and a half for Darius Slayton without Sterling Shepard. Yeah, that's a tough one because he's probably going to get Byron Jones, who's very easily can just shut him down and goose egg him. So that's probably not something I'll touch. Um, first touchdown, any thoughts on that? Because I've been horrible with these so far. I just like to look down the list, down the list. Is there yeah. anyone out here? The only one I can really think, uh, Rhett Ellison, 50 to 1 first touchdown. Yeah, Red Ellison. I mean, the, the problem with Red Ellison is like we saw it last week. So I think it was last week when he scores a touchdown. And like when, I, when Evan Ingram's in there, he runs 10 routes a week. So you have to get real lucky there. What, what is Dak for first touchdown, like rushing? Dak rushing touchdown 12 to 1. Like that's too short. Like I just think yeah. about, I think about Ellison is even if Ingram is out there, the routes that he runs, it was always like betting Cameron Brait first touchdown when OJ Howard was playing. It's like he's not going to play a full complement of snaps. The snaps that he's going to play are the ones in the red zone. So you have a 50 to one shot that, hey, maybe it goes to him. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, what about what's Randall Cobb's odds on that? Randall Cobb, 16 to one. Yeah, 16 to one. That, that's way too short because I like his matchup a lot, but he probably has to score more times than not from like outside the red zone for that to make sense for Dallas to have three wide receivers. So, yeah, I like what you're saying in terms of like, I usually just target guys down that. I do like Dak for a first touchdown here, but 12 to one, it's almost like they're they're thinking it's likely at that point, And that's probably not the bet you want to place. So what I'm going with is Gallup over 57 and a half receiving yards, Golden Tate over 54 and a half receiving yards. Instead of betting on the game or betting the over-unders, I'm just going to play the two props. Yeah, I, I need to find a spot to get this Gallup over under down. I don't know um, if I could make a promotion here for North Carolina to get their um, stuff together for this DraftKings playbook, but uh, we're going to have to find some prop spots because, yeah, Michael Gallup's number, if he stays healthy here, it's just really good. It, it could be a game where you see like a 150-yard game for Amari, and it's just not Gallup's day, uh, but he's going to have every opportunity to win his matchup. DraftKings showdown for the Monday Nighter, Giants hosting the Cowboys. Now that we've talked through the game and the props a little bit, do you think that Michael Gallup and Golden Tate would both make your DraftKings showdown roster? So Golden Tate's price point, it's still fine. It's 6,800. It's something that I, I probably just don't get to as much because Michael Gallup's very close. Michael Gallup, I like, I like a lot as a, a captain option at 7,400, who is $2,600 cheaper than Amari Cooper, and there's a lot of expensive captains on the slate. I mean, you have four in the five-figure range, so Gallup's a guy that I liked for some salary relief. It makes sense there. Um, I probably get to him more often. I'll have some with Golden Tate. Lately, when I do play showdowns, and I haven't been playing like the last two or three weeks, they just haven't been that great. Um, I'll play like 30 to 50 lineups or so and just um, get to exposures, and I would imagine that Gallup would be like a top one or two captain option for me. I would think that with the reverse line movement in this game, with the money shifting towards the Giants, if I'm going to play a DraftKings showdown roster this week, I think it will be Giants-centric instead of Cowboys-centric, which means probably I don't want to fade Zeke for the life of me, but I think if you fade him, go with Barkley and Tate and either Slayton or Ingram with Daniel Jones and then find Gallup and someone else to bring it back with. Maybe if you think that Dallas wins the game, but the Giants cover, maybe it's the Dallas kicker that you end up using. Yeah, I actually like getting the kickers in this spot. I do prefer the Dallas kicker. You could look at like just field goal over under props to get an idea of which kicker you should roster because they're always like the same price. So there's a little bit of an advantage on doing that. I like Daniel Jones. So like I'll have some more, maybe not leaning Giants heavy lineups, more like balanced three and three lineups, three from each side. 
Um, if anything, uh, that's probably the most of Giants I'll get. But I like Daniel Jones. If you're picking a quarterback, they're in the winning lineups like 85% of the time. He's $2,400 cheaper than Dak. And if you're just thinking about how this goes positive for Daniel Jones, I mean, he's going to throw the ball more, you would imagine, as a six-and-a-half-point home underdog. That's a great spot for quarterbacks to be in as home underdogs. But also just pricing-wise, like if Dak has a good game and he's not rushing in touchdowns, it's probably Gallup and Amari Cooper or Zeke you need in your lineup and not Dak at that point just price-wise, which just makes it a lot easier. An $8,000 quarterback, um, you would think that this is – I don't even know who's starting, like Brandon Allen or somebody who has not shown an ability to at least put points up and move drives and keep them alive. So Daniel Jones at 8,000, he seems like one of the most mispriced guys right there with Gallup on the slate. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Just looking at the player props and seeing if we can glean anything from that, Dak is projected, at least his over-under, is 279.5 passing yards. Daniel Jones is 240.5 for passing yards. Yet, if you look at passing attempts, Daniel Jones is projected for one more passing attempt than Dak. So if you just think that Daniel Jones can have a good game here, then he is the guy to take. I mean, I... If there was no salary attached to it, obviously you play Dak Prescott. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's not what we're talking about. And also, it's a spot where like Dak gets there if he spreads the ball around, which he can do with this offense, but then his wide receivers are both or one of them definitely needed over him at the price point. And the real thing you need probably here is Dak to have like a 50-plus rushing yard day or one to two touchdowns on the ground so he actually pays off that tag without needing the receivers. What I've been doing a lot, and I think I mentioned it before, is just like excluding players from a player pool uh, just to get totally unique, have 0% of them. Um, because Dak has rushing upside, I probably don't do that here. And the price tag's not ridiculous, like 11,000 plus we've seen on some of these quarterbacks, but I'll probably take a stance on one of these players that you would expect to be like top eight in ownership and just have 0%. And that's just the way that I usually get unique. If I had to guess where that leans right now, um, it, it probably comes in maybe on a guy like Evan Ingram at where his price point is. Yeah, Evan Ingram's a tough one just based on what we've seen from Daniel Jones and the connection with him so far. It really does feel like Golden Tate has stunted his overall fantasy upside. He's been fine, but not great like he had been at the beginning of the year. Maybe he was just more of Eli's guy. I don't know. But if you had to pay down for someone cheap on this slate, you just had to roll the dice on it. Would you use someone like Blake Jarwin or potentially Rhett Ellison or just that's too deep? I think I go Cody Lattimore. Uh, he's $800. He's had some success in this offense, and he's priced at $800 as a wide receiver three. Um, like the wide receiver three position between him and Benny Fowler, it's been like up in the air. One guy will get 50% snaps. The other guy will get 30%. But Lattimore has been the guy getting those wide receivers three snaps more consistently. And again, he's like $800, and he probably sees in this game, he ran 26 routes last week. He probably sees three targets, if not more, in the game. Um, so it's not high upside, which you're really banking on as a touchdown there or like a 50-yard reception. But at $800, like it's a price tag where if he gets in the end zone, he's outscoring kickers for $300 less. That's one of the guys that I like at that range. Nobody else in the, in the really far down range. I think Jason Witten's interesting at the price tag. He's going to run a lot of routes, probably catch some short passes, touchdown upside if you're not going to get the Darius Slayton in the 5K range. That'll do it on the Pat Mayo Experience. Monday, recap, waiver wire. You can find all of the articles and the lists and all the injuries and the snap counts in the description of this podcast and video. All the winners were announced at the beginning of the show. And if you want to get into a draw for 20 DK bucks, here's what you do. Smash the like button for the episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section, not the live chat the comment section and tell me who the best player on your waiver wire is in your home league or whatever league that you play in your high stakes league. It doesn't matter which one it is. They're the best player that you can pick up this week. Very curious to know. Sal, what do you got coming out this week? Yeah, so I'll have content over on the YouTube channel uh, every single day. It'll be NBA videos every single morning. They come out, and then I'll have NFL content every single day as well. You can find that just Sal Vetri YouTube channel. 
Also, it's just stripped down into an audio version on all podcast platforms, uh, The Salvetri Show, as well as Twitter, at Salvetri DFS. All right. Uh, the other way that you can go to the draw for 20 DK dollars, you go subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast, leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle, something you like about the show. Winners announced every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, live on the DraftKings YouTube channel and the DraftKings Facebook channel, and then on demand on the audio version on the Pat Mayo Experience audio feeds every single Monday. So remember to mark that into your calendar. You get nothing to do on a Monday afternoon. Maybe, maybe put in like five hours at work already. You're ready to call it quits. I don't know. Adam Levitan will be on the show Wednesday to break down the entire DraftKings slate to get ahead of the game. If you go to establishtherun.com and use the promo code Mayo20, you get 20% off at Establish the Run. You got Levy. You got Adam Silva. You got Josh's buy low model. Pat Thorman's updated pace model, which is a really good tool for trying to project not only over-unders for games, but fantasy performance performances based on points per snap highly recommend that fantastic site mayo 20 is the promo code that you want to use check out all my work up on dkplaybook.com and we got tons for you Sealy tomorrow cust and feinberg the day after levy we got everyone for you chris meany is back from vegas this week as well plus paul and cody on the ufc show coming out this thursday afternoon not thursday morning but thursday afternoon for your ufc picks we got the full range here for you thank you all for tuning in I'm Pat Mayo. Good luck in week 10. I'll see you next time. Pat Mayo Experience! Experience! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.